Welcome to the Missing Chapter Podcast, where you will hear some of the least known, obscure, and entertaining stories the history textbooks left out. Starring Phil Horander and Phil Schaff. Hello, Missing Chapter fans. Welcome and happy Halloween. All things All Hallows Eve on today's episode. That's right, Phil. We're headed down the haunted rabbit hole of everything haunted and historic about some of our traditions and customs surrounding this national holiday. Why not gather some great talking points about the history of this crazy holiday before you gather the kids to go trick-or-treat? Let's do it. A Missing Chapter chat going through the history and origins of some of our most common Halloween traditions on this episode of The Missing Chapter. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Hello, Missing Chapter fans. This is Phil Schaff here with Phil Horner today. Phil, before we get into the episode, let's talk all things pumpkin, including our coffee from Utica Coffee Roasting Company, Great Pumpkin. Uh, the description is warm pumpkin, spiced, uh, paired with a sweet pastry. I will tell you, in all things honest, one of the best coffees we've had yeah, in a long time. We, we partnered this up with some caramel macchiato creamer, and it was really, really good this morning. Um, I'm a huge pa- fan of pumpkin spice anyway, Phil. Yeah. And, and this is one of the better ones. This, yeah. We've had, we've had our fair share of pumpkin coffees. Mm-hmm. Some are a little bit, uh, I don't know, more artificial. Artificial is yeah. a great word for it. Yeah. Um, and let's talk, let's talk today's episode. Happy yeah. Halloween, everybody. Happy Halloween. Uh, hopefully you're getting ready to go out trick or treating, uh, Monday falling, uh, excuse me, Halloween falling on Monday this year, which is kind of odd, but mm-hmm. either way, getting into the Halloween season. And I'm sure some of you, after seeing today's episode title, you're waiting for us to sing. There's something to talk about. We will not yeah. be singing today. We will not. We um, will not. But, you know, we think about traditions, Phil. The name of our coffee, Great Pumpkin, has me thinking of one of the traditions that we enjoy in our household. It's the Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, the 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 cartoon that aired in 1966 and is, is going to be on this weekend you know, there's there's so many great things <clears throat> about holidays and traditions and customs and cultures. I mean, you enjoy them every year, but, you know, do you ever stop to think, well, where did they originate? Where did they come from? When did we start doing this? Right. Oh, yeah. And then hopefully today's episode will rectify some of those some of those questions. I will yeah. have to hand it to you, Phil, from the people who are listening. This poor guy has been sicker than a dog. He is here behind the microphone. He's fighting through it. Yeah. I actually kind of like the sound of your voice. Like I appreciate this. I it. Yeah, yeah, it's got kind of a, a, a blues jazz yeah. sort of sound to it yeah. so you know don't adjust your your earbuds um it is phil hornder but it's just <laughs> phil hornder under the weather a little bit but again yeah thanks phil i'm doing much better than i have been the last couple of days that's for sure so maybe uh, the next episode uh the, the airs will be a little bit clearer yes i think yeah. so i think so all right so let's get into the origins of halloween let's start with our number one here i think we're going to go top five completely in randomized order um Origins of Halloween. Now, there's been a lot of speculation. Where does Halloween come from? Let's break it down into the most basic levels. It, it, let's go all the way back to the ninth century Ireland. 
All right. And we're, we're looking at actually a specific date, November 1st uh, in the ninth century. So the Celts uh, of ancient Ireland, it marked the transition at November 1st from warm summer to obviously the cold and dark wintertime, a period that most was uh, most often was associated with, with death, unfortunately. Um, but on October 31st, the night before, they celebrated what was known as, I hope I pronounced this correctly, the Samhain, all right, S-A-M-H-A-I-N. So it was a night when the boundary between like the living world and the dead became quite thin, blurred. And of course, of course, the ghosts would return and, and walk the earth or so they believed. Priests would, would celebrate by building huge bonfires, uh, which is one of the traditions we, you know, we hold having bonfires at Halloween parties and so forth, gathering around in costumes to disguise themselves from the ghosts that are wandering, trying to tell each other's fortunes. That's another one we'll, we'll get into a little bit later. And enjoying, of course, a big feast, making lanterns out of gourds, interestingly enough, right? Um, very pagan tradition until Christianity extended its influence a little bit further into the Celtic lands. And the celebration became a little bit more toned down. But the name Halloween specifically came from the Christian All Souls Day celebration, kind of getting into the spirit uh, and knowing that there's a spiritual realm outside just the physical world. And that became known as All Hallows. And since that was on November 1st, folks began to call Sam Wind the All Hallows Eve, which we mentioned in the intro. Right, Phil. And it's interesting to know, you know, obviously as a country of immigrants, you know, people who travel here at various times in history, they bring with them their cultures, their customs, their religions, their beliefs. How would a kind of different sort of uh, festival translate in the new world where different states in those 13 colonies, mm. you know, kind of allowed you different um, freedoms of worship? True. So the celebration of Halloween was extremely limited, for instance, in colonial New England because of the very rigid Protestant belief systems there. Think Salem, think the, you know, the right. witch trials, things like that. But Halloween was much more common in Maryland and every Southern colony. And as the beliefs and customs of different ethnic groups from Europe traveled and meshed with the in, uh, American Indian customs that were already here, you had a very kind of distinct American version of Halloween that began mm -hmm. to emerge. And the first celebrations included, you know, what were referred to as play parties which very reminiscent of what you talked about in Europe. They were public events held to celebrate the harvest. Good times by all accounts, right? Right. And neighbors would share stories of the dead and ancestors, uh, tell each other's fortunes, dance, sing, celebrate. Mm -hmm. uh, colonial Halloween festivities also featured the telling of ghost stories and mischief making of all kinds. And by the middle of the 19th century, annual autumn festivals were very common. But Halloween was not yet celebrated everywhere in the country. In the second half of the 19th century, America was flooded with new immigrants. We'll talk about specifically where, but Phil, second half of the 19th century, you're talking like- I know. It, it's really not that long ago. That's true. Right? New immigrants, especially millions of Irish fleeing the Irish potato famine, helped to popularize the celebration of Halloween nationally and the custom of- carving out those gourds that you talked about. Yeah. So you think specifically, it's almost like we've come one, 180 degrees, the Irish potato, the yeah. importance of the gourd, uh, warding off evil spirits that are going to affect your crops specifically, you know, to those legumes and gourds. <clears throat> now we're starting to see a much more American version and the version that we're accustomed to seeing now. 
and it, what's interesting too is that you have like a merge of i know you mentioned this of so many different cultures mm -hmm. and you have a, a very interesting uh split down the middle of of people who see halloween as a very uh anti-religious holiday Correct. you know it's a very dark demonized kind of holiday and the same time you have uh you know some of the people that that feel like hey it's it, christianity had its hand in this so uh there is a spiritual side to life and there's um, maybe it's taken a little too far in certain contexts, but there's also a group of people that say, no, actually, this is this is to glorify some of the things uh, in certain religions throughout the world. So, right. And you think about, I mean, some of the dates you tossed around, it's been around a long time yep. in its its very early stages in Europe, but it's really taken a long time to develop into what we you know associate with Halloween today. All right. Now, I know this is probably more of a, of a fall tradition, at least for us. We love going apple picking. Right. Uh, there's a bunch of orchards around where we live in uh, the Utica area. We love apples, and I think it's synonymous with, with not just fall, but with Halloween. Now, the question is, what about the apples on Halloween? Where does that tradition come from? Now, obviously, I think it, it comes from just the, the, uh, the harvest, of course. Right. The apples are, are the best in the fall, of course. But we can possibly attribute their introduction to, to all the way back to Roman conquests and the Romans holiday, the fall holiday, which was symbolized by an apple. And it's, it's interesting. In some of the research, Phil, I found that there's a fortune telling element to this, which turned into bobbing for apples in which women would uh, eventually find um, a suitor, the apple that she would eventually, quote, bite into. Right. And, and a lot of what we came across in our research, Phil, focused on the apple and focused on, you know, various kinds of, of nuts, things like walnuts, things like um, hazelnuts, things, again, especially in upstate New York, where we are, like you said, you know, we, we certainly associate with fall and right. are bountiful in this area during this particular time period. But it's interesting to note for a, a holiday so focused on the past and celebrating the dead, you're right. Some of the more obsolete things that we don't necessarily include in our traditions were about trying to predict the future, specifically for, for young women. Which was mind-blowing when we right. researched this, yeah. So in Scotland, fortune tellers recommended that an eligible young woman name a hazelnut for each of her suitors and then toss the nuts into the fireplace. And the nut that burned to ashes rather than popping or exploding, the story would go, represented the girl's future husband. All right. Another tale had it that if a young woman ate a sugary concoction made out of walnuts, hazelnuts, and nutmeg. Before bed on Halloween night, she would dream about her future husband. So much about marriage yeah. and finding out who you would eventually go with. And remember, Phil, too, I guess this kind of goes back to that if you are a woman and you're left unmarried the way that you are viewed, and very often, again, we look at those New England villages, if you were a widow or if you never had a suitor, you might be a witch. Right. Right. So other rituals were much more competitive. At some Halloween parties, the first guest to find a burr on a chestnut hunt would be the first to marry. At others, the first successful apple bobber would be the first down the aisle. It's unbelievable. Okay, Phil, we're going to keep along the same lines from our previous uh, discussion. We're going to talk this time about apples, but candy apples. Sure. Which, if you're like me, this is one of my favorite treats around the Halloween holiday. For centuries, people have been coating fruit in syrup as a means of preservation. We know, you know, salt and sugar historically prior to the days of you know, refrigeration were always important and fruit goes bad very quickly. Right. So syrup, you know, as a means of preservation over, you know, various fruit makes sense. But during the Roman festival of Pomona, the goddess was often represented by and associated with apples. 
Her name derives from the Latin word for apple, palmum, and the fruit is at the heart of harvest celebrations. And again, our area, I mean, apple orchards galore. Yes. Now, I, I'm probably going to be uh, ostracized for this, but I'm not a huge fan of candy apples. Okay. I, I go more towards the caramel. Okay. I do love my caramel apples. How about apple crisp? Can oh, we meet in don't the even get me started. Oh, we'll yeah. Give apple me some crisp. apple crisp. Okay. Yeah, sorry. That's my there you go. Warm apple crisp. 100%. Maybe a little bit of uh, vanilla ice cream. A la mode. That's yep. what I'm talking about. All right. So, and it's funny you mentioned this too, because I was actually going to do a separate episode completely of this, uh, because there is... There was a, a history just behind the candy apple, not so much paired with Halloween, obviously, but mm-hmm. the, the candy apple itself was invented accidentally mm-hmm. in 1908 by this guy by the name of William Kolb. And maybe we do a separate episode of, about this. That'd be interesting. But he was a candy maker in New York, in Newark, New Jersey. And as the story goes, he was experimenting with red cinnamon candy to sell during Christmas time. He dipped apples on sticks, got the red glaze, which, of course, is, is going to uh, welcome in some some people outside in the streets, put them in his shop window. He showcases the new candy. But instead of selling the candies, he ended up selling the apples, who thought they looked pretty appetizing. Uh, and that became fashionable during Halloween, early 1900s or so, and obviously pretty popular uh, throughout you know, the 21st century. Okay, Phil, for this next one, you and I have had off-the-air conversations about this, especially as parents uh, of young children. The idea of telling your kids throughout the year not to accept candy from any sort of strangers, and then October 31st hits, and then you not only tell them, hey, the rules are gone, Mm -hmm. we're encouraging you accepting candy from strangers. Very odd, very interesting. So this one I actually learned a ton from the more research we did. Mm -hmm. Trick-or-treating. Having little kids dress up in costumes and and acting like beggars. Whoa, what's going on here? So like a lot of other Halloween activities and traditions, this can be traced back to, once again, the rituals of Samhain. So it was believed that the phantoms, the ghosts who were walking the earth on the night of Samhain, uh, people would dress up in costumes in order to repel the spirits. In comes the Catholic Church, like we talked about earlier, with the All Souls Day, All Hallows Eve. And the act of souling became popular. Poor children, adults, would go door-to-door dressed up as spirits and accepting food in exchange for prayers. Right. And Phil, you know, I've told you before, my wife and I moved to where we where we live now, which is a, a small town in upstate New York, Altamont, New York. It is the best place to go trick-or-treating. Yeah. It is Norman Rockwell-esque to a T. Yep. And you're right. Kind of a strange tradition when you break it down. So borrowing from European traditions, Americans began to dress up in costumes, go house to house asking for food, in some case money, a practice that eventually became today's trick-or-treat tradition in the U.S. And again, listen to this. Young women believed that on Halloween they could divine the name or appearance of their future husband by doing tricks with yarn, apple pairings, or mirrors. All right? In the late 1800s, there was a move in America to mold Halloween into more of a holiday um, and that involved community style get togethers, neighborly get togethers, rather than about ghosts, pranks, witchcraft and vandalism, yeah. which it was becoming more and more about. And at the turn of the century, Halloween parties for both children and adults became the more common way to celebrate the day where parties focused on games, foods of the season and festive costumes. But if you think about the trick or treating element, it's this, it's become really as opposed to what we think it is a safe way of celebrating Halloween collectively as a community 
as opposed to going out and, you know, on your own and getting into trouble. That's a great point. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and 6-1 since that matters. And what do I even say other than, hey, <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better and dating safer. They've changed. So you don't have to download the new Bumble now. All right. Last one is one of our favorite things to do. Carving pumpkins, turning them into jack-o'-lanterns. Let's talk about the history and the legend of jack-o'-lanterns. It has it that stingy Jack invited the devil uh, to have a drink with him, but Jack didn't want to pay for the drink. So he convinced the devil to turn himself into a coin. Instead of buying the drink, he pocketed the coin, kept it close to a silver cross in his house, preventing the devil from taking shape again. So here we are. It's all based around this legend of stingy Jack. He promised to let the devil go as long as he would leave Jack alone for a year. And then if Jack died, the devil would, uh, wouldn't claim his soul. Now, after a year, Jack tricked the devil again to leave him alone and not claim his soul. When Jack died, God didn't want such a conniving person in heaven and the devil, true to his word, would not allow him into hell. So Jack was sent off into the night with only a burning coal to light his path. He placed the coal inside a carved out turnip and has been roaming the earth ever since. Mm. Look at that. And once again, we go back to people in Ireland and Scotland uh, began creating their own creations of Jack's lanterns out of turnips, out of beets, out of potatoes. And of course, that tradition travels to the United States along with the immigrants and uh, people began to use pumpkins rather than uh, turnips and, and potatoes and beets because, well, pumpkins were, were native to North America. If that, in a nutshell, that story right there doesn't encompass what the missing chapter is all about, or is that a good story to kind yeah. of expose where there you things go. that, yeah, that we do every day come from? That's awesome. I yeah. love that one. And, it, and it's so fun because a lot of, a lot of these things that we, we don't know, when we do research on these, mm -hmm. you know, various uh, resources, we kind of compile them all together. It's amazing what we end up learning also. Right. Yeah. Well, Phil, a, a tradition that's grown in popularity beginning in the mid 20th century and is certainly synonymous with Halloween is our love for being scared. Even people who don't like to be frightened at any other point during the year enjoy a good scare during Halloween. And an integral part to all of that is sitting down to watch a good horror movie. The horror film genre and the slasher movie movement have their origins firmly rooted in the Halloween holiday. Moviegoers have gone to see horror flicks at an unprecedented rate. Get this. According to Comscore, which tallied the domestic revenue for all horror films that grossed more than $5 million at the box office, the genre as a whole has generated approximately $1.1 billion in revenue wow. this year alone. Yep. Wow. And by no coincidence, did this all start on October 25th, 1978, with the release of John Carpenter's classic movie, Halloween. It was unconventional, innovative for the time, and ultimately gave way to a wave, a tsunami of films along the same lines. You have your classic slasher horror movies, Nightmare on Elm Street, Friday the 13th, and the more recent Scream films. Thank you for joining us. Until next time, I'm Phil Schaff. And I'm Phil Hornder. Another chapter has been added to the history textbooks.